Welcome to episode 38 of How About the Muskies. I'm Connor, joined by Matt and Matt. Fortunately, Andrew can't be here tonight, but it's a big week in the basketball world. The NBA draft is coming up. We got three guys that are hoping to get drafted. We also got a recruit in the past couple of weeks, Cam Spencer. We'll talk a little bit about him. And I think that's where we'll start off here in this episode. Cam Spencer, he's a transfer from Rutgers. He's a pure shooter. He shot 43% from downtown last year. He's averaged 13 points per game. He's exactly what this team needed. I mean, you lose Hawkins, you lose Joey, even the Himalayan provided some spark from deep. He's gone. You really were missing that shooter. You got Tristan Newton back, which that's a plus, but he's he's a good shooter, but not a guy you want like in a Hawkins type of role, just only out there for threes. This was definitely a necessary addition to the team. I mean, he's going to be a starter. Our starting lineup, we'll get to that in a little bit. That's pretty much clear, even if it's going to be Hurley's going to say there's competition there. I feel like we all know he's going to be in the starting lineup. But yeah, what do you guys think of this pickup? The first and likely only transfer UConn's going to get this offseason. Well, I mean, I love this pickup. Definitely. You know, he's a guy who is a career 40% free or three-point shooter. There's never a season, I don't think, where he was under 40%. And he's been around for four years. You know, he's savvy. He's experienced. Um, You know, he's and it's not he's shooting 43% from three last year. It's not like he's a guy who shot four threes or 10 threes and four of them go in. He's a guy who saw a high volume of shots. You know, he averaged 13 a game. He was coming from Loyola, Maryland, where he averaged 18 a game the season before, which obviously that's not the competition he's seeing at Rutgers. I don't know, unless you're living under a rock, Big Ten basketball has been extremely competitive for the last couple of years. So he showed that he can do it in a top conference. And another thing about him is that he's really – an underrated defender. Um, he averaged two steal per games or steals per game in two seasons in a row. One of them was at Loyola, Maryland. So maybe a little asterisk on that, but he did that in the Big Ten. He's a guy who you see filling passing lanes and who doesn't have the worst positional size. He's actually a pretty stocky guy. He's near 210 as a two guard, you know, which that's big enough where he could, you know, stop penetration. Guys aren't really going to be able to move him too easily. And one more thing about his game that's a little underrated. I know I just talked about his defense, but, you know, he really can get to his own spot and he's got a good mid-range game. You know, he's a guy that is a good secondary ball handler. You add him to ball handlers like um, Tristan Newton, who showed he was very capable. And then you add him to guys like us. Um, what's his name? Stefan Castle who's coming in here. We're all assuming that he's going to be you know, a primary ball handler and creating his own shot and creating off the dribble. And you just got another guy that, you know, when the offense breaks down, you need someone to score a point. He could get past a defender and get to a spot and get a shot off and do it pretty effectively. So overall, just a big pickup, you know, replacing a lot of production that we're losing from our bench, but it'll be a starter. Yeah, and the big thing for me with Cam Spencer is that he went from the Patriot League uh, straight into the Big Ten, and there really wasn't much of a drop-off at all. That, to me, is a good sign of a player, you know, who's experienced and not only has, you know, good talent in one conference, but can immediately go to another one and be an immediate game-changer. Um, I know people say that he's kind of like a one-trick pony, but, I mean, you need you need players like that. You need a guy who could come out and hit a three-ball. Cam Spencer, obviously, is not a one-trick pony. He's not going to be. He's going to be great on defense, big 6-4 frame. Um, he's going to bring a lot of what Joey brought to the table, uh, just like Matt said. But I feel like he's going to bring more. He's going to bring more efficient scoring. He's going to bring more consistent scoring. Uh, Joey, throughout 
uh, majority of the season, went through these slumps that I don't think that Cam Spencer is going to go through. I feel like Cam Spencer is going to be very much uh, a consistent 10 to 15 point scorer, like preseason Joey, the Joey that we were all, you know, clamoring about and uh, talking up so much. He uh, disappeared. I don't think Cam Spencer is going to disappear. I have a feeling that uh, Cam Spencer is going to be that start of the season Joey averaging 10 and 15 and winning us games in sneaky ways, uh, like making three pointers and making nice behind the back passes like Joey did against uh, Georgetown. But yeah, I'm really excited to see him, uh, how he fits into the team alongside, you know, Castle and where he fits in the, in the two or three, you know, with ball and uh, those guys. So yeah, just excited. Yeah. And uh, I really like the Joey comparison. Um, One thing about Cam Spencer that I'm thinking he is, is like the whole foods, Joey, Joey Calcaterra, a little bit more, uh, luxury you know he's like joey calcaterra except uh you know just a little bit uh a little bit more fancy and um he's going to be a better player more consistent like you said so i do like that comparison i almost think he brings a combination of the production that joey and um naheem aline had together and we lost both of those guys i think he's just gonna take that almost exact production right there and match it himself so yeah big pickup and um and he's definitely the whole foods of a transfer portal pickup, you know, as opposed to like a Walmart guy. Yeah. When I look at a comparison, I see Jordan Hawkins here, Joey, he wasn't that far off, but he's here. I feel like Spencer's kind of where my head is right in the middle. He's not quite Joe, not quite Hawkins, but he's better than Joey right in the middle. And he's, I mean, like I, I'm going to reiterate my fast point. He's exactly what this team needs. I mean, Alex Caravan's a great shooter. I mean, Klingon, I mean, he said he's what he's gonna take two or three threes a game. I mean, Sonogo did that and he shot fairly efficiently, but I'll believe that when I see it, even though he hits him in before the game. If you're there at Gamble or XL, you watch Klingon makes his threes when he takes them. I mean, some of the freshmen have some question marks shooting the ball. I'm not too sure. I mean, just because I haven't seen him, I'm sure Castle's an all right shooter, but I feel like he's not known for that part of his game same thing with ball he's more of an explosive guy Jaden Ross Stewart I'm not sure how they are and none of them are three-point specialists is what I'm trying to say which is exactly what Cam Spencer is and the thing for me with this year's team uh that I don't really feel like we could say about last year's team is that there are really no question marks you know what you're getting from everyone coming into this year you didn't know what you were getting from Andre Jackson whether he was going to be able to improve from behind the arc or not which I mean did he or did he not I would say he did slightly but you know, not enough to where it was, you know, the answer at the end. He had to figure out new ways to play. Uh, so no go coming into the year. We didn't know he was going to be shooting threes like that. We didn't know what was going to be going on with him. Before this year, if you told me Sonogo was going to get drafted, I probably wouldn't believe you. But that, adding that element of his game in there uh, to knock down the three-pointer really changed everything. Um, I don't really have those questions with the team this year. Um, if you look at Castle, he is one of the best distributors in this whole class. And hopefully one of the best distributors in college basketball, you know, being 6'6", being able to score at will. Uh, he'll hit threes. Spencer will hit threes. Carabin will hit threes. Love to see Klingon shoot. He did it a lot in high school. But he's going to have to improve a lot. I mean, I guess that is the one question mark, Klingon's three-point. But besides that, you know what you're getting from a lot of these guys. And I think Hurley is going to kind of be able to take that. And we're not going to have that sort of slump that we did uh, throughout December. And I think this year we're going to be way more consistent we're going to be, 
you know, whether or not we finish with a better record, it's going to be a more consistent season. We're going to know what we're going to get from these guys. And I'm pretty excited to see, you know, what Spencer brings to the table, what he adds next to Carabam, next to Castle, next to Ball, uh, next to Kling, and all these guys. I'm just excited to see how they work. Yeah, and one more thing about this move is I think it just shows that Dan Hurley has really found his identity. He needs spacing. He figured that out last year. And he went to the transfer portal and he brought in spacing and he's developing the heck out of shooters. Um, he really understands that nowadays you got to be able to shoot the cover off the ball if you want to win in NCAA basketball, which is really what this team was doing last year. Um, you know, I don't think it was any secret that that was the winning formula. You know, when March came, guys were just hitting from all over the place. You know, put that on top of guys. He's obviously recruiting guys who could really defend too, but that just comes from being, you know, a top 50 recruit or something like that. But yeah, Dan Hurley's identity now is to bring in shooters and get shooters around his playmakers or even have shooters that are playmakers, which is, um, that's huge in college these days. Yeah. If you know, Dan Hurley, you know, he's not going to get a guy that can make a three, but can't guard a guy that will also make a three on the other end. I mean, there's no point. He wants a guy that's going to give his all on the defensive end. And if there's offense, that's a plus. I mean, like that's kind of Hassan Diara. He's known as the defensive point guard, new and more the offensive guy, but Diara shows some flashes on offense. And I mean, it's just, if you want to play for Dan Hurley, you have to guard, you have to guard. That's, that's, that's pretty much it. You have to play defense. All of his teams have been extremely defensive oriented. You have Whaley, Tyrese Martin. Those are big defensive guys from years past. Even Tyler Polly was a kind of underrated defender. Even you think of him as a shooter, you could guard his position. Well, it's big frame. And I want to talk a couple more points about Spencer, and then we'll move on. One name that UConn fans, I feel like, forgot about at this point, but someone we were really in on early in the cycle for the transfer portal, Nick Timberlake from Towson. He ended up going to Kansas. Cam Spencer is like Nick Timberlake on steroids. So I feel like we're all upset at the time that we didn't get Timberlake, but we got a guy that pretty much put up the same shooting percentages and stuff, but in the Big Ten. So I feel like that's definitely a win for Coach Hurley and the staff. And also, lastly, the teams we beat out. I mean, his final four was us, Miami, UCLA, Oklahoma. I feel like Oklahoma didn't really have a chance. UCLA, part of me didn't really feel like they had a chance either. I felt, felt like it was down to us and Miami. And the way that NIL is right now with the money Miami has, I was shocked, honestly, that we got him. Because I feel like, you, I mean, if you leave a place like Rutgers in the Northeast, you're probably – a combination of it's in the Northeast and you want money, which Miami, I mean, they have so much. Nigel Pack got like $750,000 last year. I just, I did not think we would end up with him, especially with Hurley stressing how NIL is not the thing. If you want to come to UConn, you want to come to UConn. It's not for the money. It's not for any of that. It's to be a Husky. It's not, if you were in it for the money, go somewhere else. He's said that in a couple of interviews. So I'm surprised, honestly. I mean, I, I part of me expected we get him because because it's Hurley, but I'm, I'm surprised we beat out Miami with all the money they have. I think now we'll talk about the lineup a little bit for next year, just real quick. I mean, we, we have like five months till the season starts, five months to talk about that. But, yeah, the starting lineup is going to be Castle, Newton, Spencer, Caravan, and Klingon. I feel like we all agree here that's the group. And off the bench is going to be some combination of the freshmen, Ball, Ross, Jalen Stewart, Singara. You also have Diara, Rumaglu in there, and don't forget Samson Johnson. I feel like not all those guys are going to get run on the bench, but some of them are. What are your guys' thoughts on maybe who's going to play, who's going to not? We have, honestly, we haven't seen any of them yet, but I feel like there's some clear answers 
what do you guys think? I'll, I'll open the floor. I have a really big feeling that next season we're going to see Klingon take over that Sonogo role, that big bruiser role who, you know, can stretch the floor. And I have a feeling that we're going to see a lot of Samson Johnson uh, coming in off the bench and playing that Klingon role from last year. Uh, Johnson is uh, not short at all. He's around seven one, seven foot tall. So I have a feeling that uh, Johnson, you know, is going to kind of come and be that one-two punch, that kind of unguardable big guy off the bench. You know, I don't really think backup centers – you know, might really have an easy time with them. I feel like he's going to be able to take advantage of a lot of, you know, lackluster defensive bigs, a lot of smaller teams. Because as you saw, we got deeper into March last year. It felt like the the, the big men just kept getting smaller and smaller. Those uh, matchups against Arkansas, Gonzaga, and such, San Diego State. You know, we kind of took advantage off the bench of Klingon, uh, you know, being that kind of force. And I have a feeling that Samson Johnson, you know, is going to be able to come out off the bench and provide a big spark for this team. Um, it's going to take a lot, though, from him. He's going to need to be able to get back in the swing of it. But don't forget, he was the starting power forward uh, this year before he got injured and Caravan slid him. So they do have some high hopes for him, and I have a feeling that he's going to come and he's going to make a big difference this year. Yeah, and that's really who I wanted to talk about is Samson Johnson because I don't really see Singari really coming in and being that guy who's getting any run at all at center in his first year. I mean, he does have good upside, but – you know, he's not the highest recruit in the world, and there's definitely a need for a backup center. And Samson Johnson, like you were just saying, you know, he really was expected to take that jump last year. Obviously, he had the foot injury. Um, He didn't necessarily develop the way they wanted him to when he got back, but right now I feel like it's his time, and he knows that. And if he could stay healthy, um, he really needs to. And I think he can be, but he really needs to be a contributor off the bench as far as the bigs go. The rest of the guys – I guess there are some question marks, you know, I'm really excited to see solo ball. I've heard some good things about him. Um, I think he could be a big time player for us off the bench, but it kind of hurts not having a more veteran bench, but you know, I don't think it'll be that bad in the long run since our freshmen are very talented. Jaden Ross is a guy who I have high hopes for too. I see him as kind of a Tyrese Martin-esque player. You know, he's actually very similar and, you know, maybe his freshman year won't be the greatest, but I think he'll show his flashes this year. And, you know, the starting five, I have no questions about. Not even Stefan Castle. I mean, I think we're pretty confident as UConn fans to say in that say that he'll come in and really do his thing. You know, no one's really too worried about him. And the rest of them are guys who we know could all do it. So starting lineup looks great. I stand corrected about the height of Samson Johnson. He's 6'10", that's a few inches off, but his wingspan is 7'5". Uh, so, you know, he brings a lot more to the table. And he can stroke the outside shot so he's still you know very big on the inside Seven five wingspan hard to keep up with yeah Sark I agree with your point I don't think we're gonna see much Singare I mean last year with our freshman that's a that's an exception you don't have two that one is a starter on a championship team the other is one of the most efficient players in the country that's not every year like the year before I look at we had Hawkins Diggins and Samson Johnson Hawkins played but he's obviously a very special talent the other two did not see the floor in the rotation unless there were injuries. I feel like Singara is kind of going to be in that freshman Samson Johnson role in a sense that he'll get some run maybe against some of these lower non-conference games, which side note, we don't have any of them yet, which is kind of weird. I feel like we'd have some sort of a schedule by now, at least maybe one of these teams. Like I really want to know when UConn's going to play against, I don't know, Fairfield or LIU or, I mean, it's just, it's just content in the off season, but those will come out sooner rather than later. I feel like, but yeah, Singari, I don't think he's going to play much. And I feel like 
Rumaglue is not going to play, even though he has a lot of potential. I don't feel like Hurley's going to run him out there. But besides that, there's ten guys. I feel like I think they can legitimately play. I think at least the beginning of the year there will be a ten man rotation. Will one of those freshmen fall out of it because entering Big East play? Maybe, probably at this point. But I mean, I think there'll be a ten man rotation just because there's so much talent. There hasn't been that the past couple of years, especially last year. We had guys like Richie Springs is talented, but he's not a rotational guy. I mean, we had the two European players. I mean, this year was a lot of young, fresh talent, and I'm really excited. Yeah, and I feel like we're going to see a bunch of guys kind of fall out of the lineup that maybe we didn't expect. Uh, Sandiara being one, we were just talking about him. Sure, his defense is fantastic, but, I mean, when you can't bring what Spencer brings to the table or what Castle brings to the table or what Ball brings to the table offensively, you know, you're just going to lose minutes. I feel like Diara is a great player, but I feel like – you know, maybe he should have hit the portal uh, with Aline because I felt like Aline knew the same exact thing. Um, Aline knew he wasn't going to get as much playing time as he did. And, you know, you know, he wanted that. So he just hopped over to St. Joe's. Um, Diara, I love him. He's a great player. He's a big reason as to why we won the championship. But I feel like, you know, he, he's just going to kind of slip out of that rotation in the end. Yeah, I'm, I feel like looking at some of the positions of incoming freshman play, I feel like in the Dan Hurley era that we haven't really had too many like true like six, seven, six, eight wings coming in as freshmen. I mean, Hawkins is smaller. Book Knight was smaller. Obviously, Gaffney was a guard. Caravan was that, but he's not. No, no offense to Caravan. He's not the athlete that these guys, Stewart and Ross are coming in. I mean, we haven't really seen what Hurley does with the a big lengthy wing type of ball handling players. I mean, will they get run? I feel like they will at least a little bit. But it's, it's going to be really interesting to see what, what goes down. And that's kind of the way that, um, you know, pro basketball is moving. And even college basketball a little bit is just these big two-way slashing guys who could handle the ball. Um, you know, that's kind of the future of basketball. And we haven't really seen it much at UConn uh, just because those are the highest recruits. And there's a lot of years where we weren't really landing those guys. But I think – as time goes on, we should get used to that because those are the guys who are going to be your higher recruits are the guys who are these big, you know, two-way ball handling wings. And, um, you know, it's just the most fun thing to watch. You could see that from Andre Jackson. You know, he was a guy who was about six seven, handled the ball for us. And you know how fun that was watching, you know, guys like Tyrese Martin too. That's the kind of players we're going to see in these younger guys. All right. I think now it's time to move on to the, Part I opened with in this episode. I'm going to talk about the NBA draft a little bit. It's just Thursday night. We're not going to have another episode before that. I know we're, we've been inconsistent. I can guarantee there will not be another episode before the 22nd. So this is our NBA draft portion of the episode. We got three guys, like I mentioned. We got Hawkins, Jackson, and Sonogo. They're all trying to get drafted. At least the first two will. Sonogo's kind of on the fence. Well, let's, let's, we're going to have a little fun. We're going to make some predictions, maybe where, they, where they'll end up in the draft. We'll start with Jordan Hawkins. I feel like he can go anywhere from 11, 11th overall to the Magic to maybe 18th or so, 18, 19. The Heat have the 18th pick. I don't see him falling past there. And personally, I feel like he could go He can go anywhere in there. I think I feel like he's going to fall a little bit just because some of these guards like Jalen Hood, Shafino, Kobe Bufkin, they're all up there. And, like, they're, they're not more potential, but – kind of more potential than Hawkins, who's kind of viewed as just a shooter. So my official prediction is that Jordan Hawkins falls out of the lottery, unfortunately, and ends up the 17th overall pick to the Los Angeles Lakers. 
Yeah, and with Hawkins, um, I have seen recently a lot of mocks have him fallen out of the lottery, which I think it's 50-50. I think there is a good chance he gets picked in the lottery. Uh, you know, it, he's almost a no-brainer. You know that you're going to get, you know, an all-world shooting prospect in him. But there have been a lot of mock drafts that have knocked his frame. Um, They've knocked his lack of being able to handle the ball and create his own shot, which if you watch UConn, you would see him slash and you would see him getting layups. You would see him even hit some step backs. Maybe they're not, you know, the most advanced things as far as ball handling goes, but that's all stuff he could do. But I really see him going anywhere from, I wouldn't say 11. That seems a little high with some of the mocks I've been seeing, but I don't read too far into that because obviously those aren't the guys making the picks, but they are experts. But I could see him going anywhere from 13 at Toronto to even 21 at Brooklyn. And there's a lot of teams he can land in there, like New Orleans, Atlanta, Utah, uh, the Lakers, you know, a lot of Miami, a lot of playoff contending teams, even Golden State he could fall to, which I love that fit for him. Uh, That's all they do is run guys off screens and get them open threes. And all they do is run around, which is if you watch, you know, that's Jordan Hawkins game is just running around and, you know, endless stamina and getting a shot off. So I could see him going anywhere from late lottery to nowhere past 21. Um, I'm looking at the order right now, and it has to, to me at least, if you look, you know, late lottery, I don't think Hawkins, the way that he shoots the ball on draft night, is going to fall outside of the lottery. Um, Teams love that. Teams love shooters especially a team who's about to lose one of their best shooters in Fred Van Vliet. Uh, I think Toronto takes him here at 13. Uh, he would slide right into that backcourt quite easily. I feel like he'd get a decent amount of playing time. And um, they have taken some UConn blood in the past, right after a national championship, all the way back 2013-2014. DeAndre Daniels uh, was selected by the Raptors. So I feel like Toronto's going to kind of bite into that hype they need a score now that Fred Van Vliet, you know, is probably going to hit the road. I, I have a feeling that Toronto takes him at 13. Yeah, definitely. I feel like that's certainly – that was one of my probably top three choices for him. I also – I know, Sark, you said maybe not 11, but I feel like at 11 the Magic are going are gonna to go a shooter because they have an earlier pick at six. They can go a high potential flyer prospect guy. But I feel like at 11 it's going to be either Grady Dick or Hawkins, just a pure shooter. And if I have a few, I don't think Grady Dick will be drafted higher than that. So I think he'll end up going there. But if he's gone, I would not be shocked to see Hawkins number 11 to Orlando. The Magic have taken no guards. I feel like a little too frequently. I, I don't think they do it again. I mean, last year they got Bancaro, but then they got Suggs. They got Wagner, who plays the two sometimes, and they got Cole Anthony, um, along with Markel Fultz, who likes to see the floor a lot. You know, I don't, I don't think there's room for him. I don't think, I don't think that would waste um, their lottery pick on him, to be honest. Not waste, but spend. I, I just don't think he fits into that backcourt. I don't mean to start an argument or anything, but that's just my two cents. <laughs> All right, I think now we're gonna move on to the most wild card in terms of where he could go, Andre Jackson. I mean, you see mocks that have him in the first round. You see mocks that have him in the second round. I feel like the 25 to 40 range is where he'll end up. I mean, could he be higher? Should he be higher? Probably because of his defense. And he does everything but shoot, and all people look at is his shooting, so which is unfortunate for him. But like I said, the 25 to 40 range, I feel like 
it's not too many teams can pass up on a guy who hustles like that and gives his all with like defense. He can play, make, rebound, do it all, block shots. I mean, I find it hard to believe he falls to the second round. I feel like there's no way 30 different, well, it's not 30 different, but 30 teams go through and say, we don't want this guy. So I personally feel like my prediction, he's going to go 26th overall to the Pacers. I feel like they, they need, I mean, the Pacers aren't that great of a team. They need pretty much everything. Jackson can provide a lot. He can play the guard. He can maybe play up and play forward a little bit. I mean, late first-round picks are usually ones you're not expecting to contribute too much, which that may be the case for him. But that's where I have him. He could go anywhere, really, in that late first, maybe first couple of picks in the second, but certainly nowhere past 40th, which I see some mocks having that. You know, and you're right. I've seen some mocks with Andre Jackson that have him going late first round. I've seen some that have him going in the 50s. Um, You know, I'm going to get a little bit ahead of myself here and wrap Sunogo in, but I think Hawk, or I'm sorry, Jackson and Sunogo have proved to be some of the higher character guys, you know, in this draft class after, you know, helping a team get to the national championship and being the two captains on that team. Um, I think Jackson proved to be First of all, the most energetic player in college basketball this year. And second of all, just one of the most hard-nosed, keeps his head down and works kind of guys. You know, you can't really say anything bad about his character. So that's why I think he won't fall out of the draft. I think a lot of the people who make the mocks, um, they don't really look into character that much. That's something that scouts and GMs are really looking into. But my official prediction is him going to the Celtics at um 32 you know, late, early second round. And am I saying that because I'm a Celtics fan? A hundred percent. But I think he does fit what the Celtics need right now, which is um, a pass first ball handler because that's something they're kind of lacking and they proved that this year. So would I love to see that? Yes. Is that going to happen? Probably not, but uh, I'm putting all my eggs in that basket for draft night. I think the perfect pick here and the perfect scenario and the perfect world for Andre Jackson is to go to uh 33 to San Antonio. They're gonna get their guy. They're gonna get Victor Wembanyama number one. He's their surefire prospect. I feel like they have a chance here to take a guy, you know, which they usually take. Um, if you look at last year, they took Jeremy Jeremy Sochan, uh, twenty twenty uh Devin Vassell, uh, twenty nineteen Kelvin Johnson. All these players have similar kind of, you know, that grit energy that Andre Jackson brings to the table. Um. They love, love, love their raw prospects. And Popovich loves to work with them and he loves to season them up and turn them into, you know, very serviceable NBA players. And I have a feeling that Andre Jackson, if he goes to San Antonio here, will have a long NBA career. I think it's just it's a match made in heaven. You're taking your guy, um, number one, Victor Wembanyama, And on <clears throat> basketball reference, they have them taking Jaime Jaquez at 33 and then Jordan Walsh at 44. To me, Andre Jackson is better than both those players. Uh, Unpopular opinion. Not as good of a scorer. But overall, I have a feeling Popovich Popovich can turn him into a better player than these guys. And I think it's the perfect pick there at pick 33 for him just to fall to the Spurs and then be one of those, you know, long-term serviceable NBA, you know, guard slash forwards who rebound the ball, pass the ball, score the ball efficiently. And I feel like it's just a match made in heaven. And as far as the Spurs go, you could look as far back as Kawhi Leonard even, who, yeah, he was more of a refined prospect than Jackson. But it was a guy who they see how he worked. They see how he worked on defense. And they end up 
getting him to a point where you can run an offense through him and he could be very good at it. Um, you know, it's not like he was coming into the league, setting the league on fire with his offensive skills. He did come in and he, you know, he was locking up LeBron right away, which, you know, I think that's something Andre Jackson could do is just come into the league and um, instantly put people on to notice with his defense. And I also do, as you were saying, love the pairing with Jeremy Sohan. I think their games are so similar. Um, I think he's the type of prospect that the Spurs are looking for just because of how similar he is to Sohan. They obviously want these, you know, wings who uh, could defend very well and are high energy guys. So, yeah, I do like that spot. And, you know, going with Wembyama, the entry pass is there from Jackson. We saw how good of an entry passer Jackson was. You know, they could use that on their team. So that, that was a good point you made there. I feel like with a guy like Andre Jackson, we were talking about he's a great fit for this, great fit for that. I don't think there's a team in the NBA where he wouldn't be a great fit just because he does does all the little things that some other guys may not. And I've kind of – obviously, we don't know what trades are going to go down, but I could see maybe a team trade up in the draft if they see he's slipping a little bit to try to pick him up. That's one of those guys I feel like that would be – wherever he goes, he's going to blossom. He's he's built for it. He's a very hard worker, and we wanted him back at UConn. We all did. We also wanted him to go make money and go to the NBA. But, yeah, he, he made the right decision at the end of the day. He's going to be, if not a first-round pick, picked in the high 30s, or excuse me, low 30s, whatever way you want to look at that. But, yeah, I think we'll move on to our final prospect now, Adama Sonogo. And Adama, he is – he really benefited from a weak draft class numbers-wise. I'm not saying he wouldn't get drafted if there were a lot of prospects, but – I'm looking at a big board here. There's 71 names on it and there's 60 or there's 58 technically people to get drafted. Usually there's at least a hundred guys on a big board, but a lot of guys either went back to school because they have COVID years or they just NIL and it's a combination with that. And there's just not a lot of, it's not, not deep. So I feel like Adama Sonoga will end up getting drafted. Did I have that same opinion? Maybe after the national championship or actually, yes, after the national championship I did because he was the most outstanding player, but maybe a couple of weeks before that, no, I didn't think so. But I feel like second round, you're kind of just blindly throwing darts to the wall. If you guess right, good for you. He could fit with any of these teams. I feel like it'll be in the 50s. And I personally have him at going to Phoenix. I mean, basically because they need guys. They have like, after the trade they made today, they have like five guys on their roster and can't afford anyone notable because they have like four max contracts. So I feel like him going to Phoenix there, I could also see him going anywhere there, Memphis, Minnesota, Sacramento, any of those any of those teams that could use some depth at center. And he's a guy that could work his way maybe into a rotation, maybe not right away, but as the season progresses, he, he seems like a guy that would go to the G League for a little bit, but work his way out of the G League quickly. Watching the NBA playoffs last year, um, I came to a very, very, like, I, I determined this very quickly right after the series was over. And this series was between the Knicks and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, if you watch that series, the Cleveland Cavaliers got thrown all over the floor by Julius Randle. And they had no, they had nothing. Uh, the Knicks kind of just stomped all over them. They pushed them around and they made them look like kids. Evan Mobley had nothing. Uh, I feel like right here, I pick 49 is the perfect place for them to get that really big presence that they need, that strong physical presence in the paint. Uh, even if he plays, you know, very limited minutes, you know, I feel like he's someone that they could actually use, get in the game, put up some solid minutes, some solid, you know, defense against guys 
like Julius Randle, who gave Mobley such a hard time. I feel like Sonogo goes here uh 49 to Cleveland. I feel like it's just, you know, a fit thing at this point. And I feel like if they don't take them, they're kind of missing out because they really need that big physical presence. They need to hit the weight room. So Sonogo uh, at 49. Yeah, and one thing about Sonogo is um, with the stats he put up, with the resume he has as an NCAA player, if he wasn't a little bit undersized, um, you know, he'd probably be a top 20 pick. The only thing you could really knock on his game is how he was undersized. But you guys know very well that you almost forget that he's undersized when he's out there. First of all, he's winning tip-offs, you know. They say he's 6'7", 6'8". Some have even said 6'6". Six, six. Like, I don't know about that. But, you know, he's winning tip-offs. And then he's stronger than the strongest guy on the other team. You know, he's consistently boxing out these huge centers who, you know, maybe a little taller than him, but he's boxing them out, out jumping them. Um, and then you hear about his character. You hear how he's such a workhorse. You know, he's the captain of the team and he just has so much positive energy. And then, you know, it almost makes you scratch your head seeing him fall off the draft board on some of these uh, mock drafts. Because I think he definitely is a guy who's deserving to get drafted, and he will have a long NBA career. Um, as far as a landing spot, you know, like I said, you know, the size thing, that is very important in the NBA. But I could see him going to, you know, a team like Memphis at 45. You know, anywhere between 45 and on. But I think a team like Memphis at 45 would be a good fit for him. Um you know, with another undersized center, you know, like Jaron Jackson, who has, you know, somewhat of a similar similar game to Sonogo. And one more thing about Jackson is, as far as an NBA comparison goes, I see him very similarly, especially with the development of his jump shot, to a guy like Al Horford, who is, you know, a guy who's very switchable defender. Um, He could shoot the ball from outside, which Sonogo will develop. It might be a little slower than Horford, but he will develop. But most importantly, when he's got two feet in his paint, in the paint and his back to the basket, it's an automatic jumper or automatic bucket with, you know, a little jump hook or a little move to the basket. So I think he could have an Al Horford like ceiling, you know, and really bring value to an NBA team. All right, I think that'll end this little fun segment predicting i doubt any of us will be right it's kind of hard to predict it's kind of easy to predict the beginning victor's going first you don't even know who's going second it could be brandon miller scoot henderson we don't even know who's going to be picking third it, it probably will be portland they could trade the pick uh, it's fun to do these little mock drafts and i just want to shout out the big east real quick before we finish assuming sonogo is drafted he would be the fifth player in the big east that would get drafted this year obviously our three guys omax prosper is going to get drafted from marquette and Colby Jones is going to be a late first-round pick from Xavier. Five players in the Big East after one last year, that one being Tyrese Martin, 51st overall. And first time we've had five in quite a long time, I believe 2018. I'm looking here, it was the last time five Big East players, but that was also four players from Villanova, including like Bridges, DiVincenzo, Brunson, who somehow was a second-round pick. Looking at that right here, I don't know how that ended up being the case. But, yeah, shout-out Big East, five players getting drafted. It could have been more if some guys, maybe like a Trey Alexander stayed in, Colt Brenner. I mean, Big East is in a great spot right now, especially with all the new coaches coming in and transfers. Rick Coutinho, Big East in a great spot. Cam Whitmore is even going to be a top-ten pick. That's another thing. I don't know. I forgot him. Yeah, six <laughs> guys. I knew I was going to forget someone. Thank you for that, Sar. I was looking a little lower. I was thinking maybe Hawkins, first Big East guy off the board. Nope, Cam Whitmore. So, six. I do not know the last time Big East had six, but point still stands. Big East is in a great spot, and 
Yeah, I think that'll just about wrap up episode 38 here. How about them Huskies? Next episode, maybe we'll have a guest for trying to work on getting someone. I'm not sure who yet, but look forward to that. If not, it'll be a normal episode just talking, maybe have some more fun like we did with the draft predictions here. But yeah, thanks for tuning in. We apologize for the inconsistent uploads in the offseason, but there's not much news. I mean, we kind of there's not much news. I'll leave it at that. But we enjoy making these episodes and we're going to continue to do it even if it's not a consistent schedule. So yeah, thanks for watching.